I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is Chris Fatters of dogman.com and I'm here on a midweek. It's a, a really, really fortunate time to talk to this guy this guy has been all over the place in terms of media whether it's john wilner or the guys at the athletic and 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 just all up and down the west coast this guy has been on top of it when it comes to brands networks media rights deals strategic partnerships all the things that you want to talk about especially when it comes to the pac-12 deal that's going to be coming up in a couple deals and or excuse me in a couple years with the you know, with the TV rights and the media rights and everything that's going on, we had to talk to our friend, one of our good buddies, AJ Maestas, founder and CEO of Navigate. How are you doing, AJ? I'm good. Thank you for having me, Chris. Happy to be here. Yeah, I just, I, like I said, it's it's been a while since we got a chance to talk to you. I think the last time we talked to you was many, many months ago and certainly pre-COVID and, and all the stuff that's going on with the pandemic. I guess, first of all, you know, <laughs> How much has it kind of turned your world upside down in terms of how that's going and how that's affecting uh, kind of all these rights deals and all the things that you would normally put together over the course of a year? Well, it's strange, uh, but fortunate, I guess, for us is that, um, you know, all that disruption, the changes in schedules, uh, as an example, or renegotiation of media deals or sponsorship deals, all of that creates a, a need for the, our services. So we've been very fortunate and very busy, but uh, we're still cognizant of the fact that if there's no games played long-term, we don't have an industry. So we are just lucky in this strange way by being a little bit counter-cyclical uh, in this moment. So we've been slammed, but we're not really treating that as a good thing, right? I mean, there's not a lot of positive uh, outcomes yet, at least from COVID. So ultimately, how, how much has this really affected your work in terms of helping, helping different conferences, you know, whether we're talking about college football, whether we're talking about the NFL, whether we're talking about all the different leagues that you are a part of, how has it really ultimately kind of changed the foundation of, of the things that you're working on? Because, yes, obviously it's clear that there's no games really going on. There, there's been kind of a halt, whether you're looking at Major League Baseball or the NFL or what have you. But ultimately, these things are going to start to happen. And like Jen Cohen said, the, the Washington Athletic Director, this is not a stop. This is just kind of a, a pause in what's, you know, what's going on. Eventually, we're going to get things back to normal. How, how does this really reflect on, on your business and how you're trying to put things together during this pause, knowing things are going to get back to normal eventually? Well, at the core of our business, you know, we're, we're, we're research and analytics and database decision making. So our job is to give our clients clarity and confidence, you know, to, to show them a crystal ball into the future. Um, so you can imagine there's an increased need for that in a time with this level of uncertainty. 
and you know daily changing information. Um, so <laughs> anything you can think of, you know, we work with all the league offices as an example, all the major sports, pro sports league offices, and we've worked on major strategic initiatives for four of the five major uh, collegiate conferences, Power Five that is. Um, so if you think about everything from scheduling to uh, you know play formats and how that affects television audiences to the relationships with the networks and uh, the content they're putting on there or lack thereof to sponsorship deals, you know where you're contractually obligated to deliver things like exposure and tickets and benefits and you know all the way down the line, all of these things require an adjustment or a renegotiation or make goods and virtually every clause you can imagine has this force majeure language in there that asks those parties to find a reasonable middle ground and if they can't, there's problems. So uh, in a normal year, it's only things that are up for renewal. Only if the television network deal is up for renewal, let's call it every six, eight, ten years on major league and conference contracts or sponsorship deals every three, four, five years, they might be up for renewal. And now you have a year in which every single deal in every way has sort of a look-in clause in it, uh, given this sort of global pandemic and the disruption, you know, at such a high level. So, yeah, I mean, it's really like um, having, you know, a, a decade of work fall into three months and there's just not enough time to go around. Um, but it's also exciting. You know, there's a chance for transformational change if it was necessary. Uh, one of our biggest brand clients is Anheuser-Busch. They have about 50% share of beer in the U.S. They're by far the largest sponsor here in the United States uh, of sports teams. We, we have to look at every single one of their deals in every single way. And um, it's a chance to ask ourselves how many of those they really need to keep on a going forward basis. So sometimes there's positives that come out of a, you know, a reshuffling of the deck, um, but it has uh, not been easy on our team and we're all feeling anxiety and stress, right? There's so many things happening in the world right now that are disruptive and uh, uncertainty is something people never deal with well, especially when it's outside of our control. So uh, uh, we are lucky and playing a critical role and working all over the place and doing many months, if not years, of work in a very short amount of time. Well, it's a really good point, AJ, because you talked about transformational change, and you talk about how sometimes events will kind of foist that upon you. But when you look at specifically college football, for instance, and especially the conferences, whether you're talking about Pac-12, whether you're looking at SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, whatever, is is was that transformational change starting to maybe evolve anyway, and maybe the virus has started to, you know, maybe push that even further? Or do you think this is a situation where, you know, this thing is just all of a sudden kind of happened, and now everybody is all, all of a sudden going to have to just adapt to what's going on? Most things from this are, are an accelerator, uh, you know, whether that's social, digital, mobile, you know, utilization and trends, which were inevitable, but sports, which is often about a decade behind, you know, more competitive industries, uh, you know, is further uh, behind than even maybe, you know, the, the, the general population. Um, and that could be said for a bunch of things in, in collegiate athletics, it tends to find itself even behind professional sports as far as business practices. So, you know, it's a mobile first world and depending on how you define that, that's been true from 2013 or at the latest uh, as of a year or two ago, but very few athletic departments are, are functioning as a mobile first, you know, organization and how they touch their customers and how they conduct business. So a lot of things are accelerators. You know, uh, we did an article for John Wilner that, that you know, 
where we have a word limit, so it's a very high level, but essentially it's a global trend, uh, declining attendance before COVID. And it, um, there's a number of factors, but, but the biggest one is competition for leisure time, which is being lost by sports against social media. And so, um, you know, smaller stadiums and capacity issues and all these things that, uh, many of these things that are being forced on us by COVID-19 are, are, in my mind, accelerators. And, and to get more fun and talk about some of the more fun collegiate stuff, when you think about what role does the NCAA play and, and does there have to be an NCAA? Should players be played? Should, could, uh, what about their right to collectively bargain? Could they unionize, um, you know, name, image, and likeness and the ability to earn income, you know, off of your name, image, and likeness? You know, there's a number of factors that, uh, that I think this uh, pushes forward faster. But these things were happening anyway. So, you know, in the end, even though I just earlier said there's not a lot of positives yet coming out of COVID, in, in hindsight, I think there's a lot of things that a lot of things that could be real, real positives. Well, AJ, obviously, we've seen back in the day where, you know, players have tried to collectively bargain, like in Northwestern, for instance, a few years back. And now you mentioned the name, image, likeness stuff that's already happening in states all over the country. That That is a force that's not going to be stopped, right? I mean, that is something that the NCAA has had to deal with, I mean, literally head on. So in your opinion, when you look at these media rights deals and you see the Pac-12 deal all of a sudden starting to come up here, in the next year or two, you really see the negotiations with Fox and ESPN and some of these other media entities start to really ramp up. What are you seeing as kind of the major players and the major factors that are going to start to shape how those media rights deals start to kind of fall out? Well, if I could address that first part, just because I know, you know, the, the Dogman crew uh, and your fan following, you know, they're, they're passionate, they care about this stuff. Northwestern couldn't have been a worse university to try to unionize. It's a private university where they're getting a very expensive education. Right. Um, and they're not really a threat of sitting out of things that would really shake up the world, right? If, uh, you know, if a, if a team's about to walk on the court, you know, for the for national championship basketball game or football game and, and, uh, you know, they take a knee and they say they're not playing, you know, without rights, things change. But uh, Northwestern doesn't necessarily carry that threat in the same way. So, uh, and I love Northwestern. My wife went there. I mean, it's an amazing university. I'm not trying to make fun of it. But um, uh, if a different university had tried to unionize, we might already be there. And name, image, and likeness, which is happening now, but, you know, what does it say about collegiate athletics as an industry that, uh, the Congress, you know, that, that politicians move faster. You know, I mean, how often do we think of the Congress as a place where things get done and get done proactively? But it's states putting this into law that have forced the NCAA to react. And I think it's pretty fair to say the NCAA wouldn't be where they are right now, almost certainly not as far along as they are uh, if they hadn't been pushed, right, by those uh, laws being passed. So uh, it's disappointing. Uh, you know, there's, these are the only athletes in the world, even those considered amateur, such as the Olympics, uh, that do not have rights to their name, image, and likeness. So Olympic athletes, even here in the United States as amateurs, have these rights, and collegiate athletes don't. So uh, it's, it's, it's worth highlighting because sometimes I feel guilty that the work that we do at Navigate helps move forward the sort of, um, you know, what I consider to be the commercial inevitability of, the, of what is the business of sport and entertainment in collegiate athletics. Well, the fan in me uh, really loves the tradition of collegiate athletics, and it's why I'm passionate about it and don't really follow any pro sports teams. Uh, so I have this sort of, you know, inner conflict going on here where 
we're a part of um, moving it forward, and, and, and a lot of times I have problems with it doing so, but I do consider it inevitable. Uh, so sorry to go on that tangent, but I wanted to address that because, you know, it puts it in perspective of how fast and proactive is the NCAA versus, you know, other forces, you know, in economics and law that, that you know, move amateur athletics forward. As far as the media deals, uh, we're, we're pretty optimistic. Uh, the COVID is highly likely to be a thing of the past or, or highly mitigated by the time these deals start being negotiated. And even in the short term, the with games coming back online, but without fans or with reduced attendance, that actually increases ratings. You know, there's safe distancing being practiced in some states, maybe maybe not here in Arizona where I live, but uh, but you know, generally speaking, you've run through your Netflix library and sports is coming back. You're going to be excited. We're actually predicting a lift in ratings of 25 to 50 percent sustained over those games being played with limited attendance or, or no attendance. So in the medium term, uh, uh, television actually becomes more valuable and. Uh, so there's further questions that are unanswered two and three years out in the future as far as, you know, the fragmentation of how media uh, television is distributed and new tech players entering. But net-net, we look at it and we think there's going to be a, a robust marketplace for those rights when they come up starting in 2022, 2023. And um, we think the, the impact of COVID will be pretty minimal on what the value of those deals are worth and those rights. And if anything, they'll enhance the value. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Well, now, AJ, you just kind of hinted at it, especially here on the West Coast with Washington up and down the West Coast with the with the L.A. schools and the Bay Area schools, Oregon schools, what have you. There seems to be kind of a new dawn coming where when it comes to, to, to this new TV deal for the Pac-12. Uh, obviously, we can kind of put COVID in the rear view mirror based on what you just talked about when when the Pac-12 is negotiating their new rights. But I think it now you complete, please, please correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it sounds like you still feel like the traditional forms of media, you know, like television, for instance, with ESPN and Fox will still probably carry the day when it comes to this new deal that the Pac-12 is negotiating. But yet on the fringe, we still there's still this idea of where is streaming kind of fit into all this. Where do some of these new media partners like Apple and Amazon and Netflix and some of these other partners, where do they come into all this? I, I know that's a, a loaded question, AJ, but kind of give us a feel for where you think the Pac-12 is, what path are they starting to head down right now? Well, um, one of the benefits uh, of some of the things that might have been a, you know, a thorn in the side of their, their revenue potential and, and, you know, even their just, you know, public opinion as far as the Pac-12 network um, become benefits at that time because they own uh, 100% of the network and those deals and that those relationships, including some of the multimedia rights relationships and things that go along with that uh, are coterminous with the tier one deal. That was this excellent deal just to revisit history, you know, shared with Fox and, and ESPN. 
So uh, that gives them more options, more flexibility uh, than other conferences have. So that's a real positive. As far as the tech players entering, and you know they're openly discussing this, right? So uh, you know, I think it was Apple that was mentioned by a, an executive at the Pac-12. But more bidders means a higher price, generally speaking. We're just talking game theory principles of negotiation, right? That's a positive. And then if you look at who some of those potential bidders are, let's say it's Amazon or Apple or Google uh, with YouTube, look at the money they're sitting on. I mean, the, the two of those three are printing cash. Uh, they, are, they have uh, you know, balance sheets that could allow them to buy every pro sports team in the United States if they were all simultaneously for sale, in theory. They could do that in cash today. So... Uh, you know, if they want to be in the business and they want to, let's say, overpay to buy their way in because maybe their distribution is more difficult or non-traditional or smaller than you would get from an over-the-air network, uh, they could do so. And if anybody was set up to do that, it'd be the Pac-12. You know, being on the West Coast, it's a tech-forward, uh, you know, uh, uh, population. If you look at some of the things that I know people aren't happy about, but the distribution or lack thereof for the Pac-12 network makes it less of a risk. Most of the teams and leagues that we've assessed this with face this very difficult decision, and the same decision was faced when cable, you know, was new. Cable didn't have the same reach as free-to-air television, right, setting up bunny ears on your TV, obviously. So, but they could offer more money because they had a revenue stream from not only advertising, but they also made money based on the cable bill you pay, right, your, your monthly um, subscription. So uh, if you think about these new players, uh, it, they're facing some of those same challenges, which is, do I reach less of an audience because this is a new emerging, but it is the future, uh, you know, method of distribution and, or, or, and, and do that for more money? Or do I harm my product by having less, you know, reach? Well, the Pac-12 network's distribution is small enough that that's not really a risk. You know, if they became one of the first critical pieces of content on, a, on Apple TV, um, they, they instantly have a reach that's, you know, comparable to the Pac-12 network today. So. Uh, it's real, uh, to summarize all that. It's real, and it's a good thing. Well-heeled additional bidders um, that kind of fit with our side of the country and, uh, and you know, the, 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 the makeup of the alumni network and fan base of, of that conference. And it doesn't mean it has to be all or nothing. You know, they could give similar games that are on the Pac-12 network to an Apple TV product and still put the others on, you know, major networks like Fox and ESPN. Um, there could be a mixture of those. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a staircase where there's certain tiers of games only go to certain partners or all of them to one partner. They have the flexibility because of all of those deals being coterminous to create whatever package best serves uh, their fans and uh, their, their distribution partners. So it's kind of exciting because they have a very flexible uh, uh, hand of cards to play. I was going to say, it definitely feels exciting, AJ, in terms of, like you said, they, they have some things that maybe some people in the marketplace would really, really want and covet. But ultimately, in your opinion, do you feel like they can maximize that during this particular cycle in terms of, 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 of negotiating their media deal? Or are they going to have to wait maybe until the next cycle where all of these things become maybe a lot more fully formed? in terms of ideas and concepts? Because it feels like the streaming idea and incorporating you know, Amazon or Google or Netflix or Apple, they, they, they're out there in the, in the ether, but do, do they feel like there are things, do they feel like they could really create 
a, a kind of push that would really take the 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 media network deals and and those kinds of things with these other power five networks in a wholly different directional and, and make them almost uh kind of make it a, a watershed type moment i could easily be wrong because the rate of change in consumer behavior just on a year-to-year basis uh, especially with younger people uh we just did this comprehensive gen z study and you'd just be shocked by where their attention goes i think their most second favorite competition to watch is esports or is one specific game uh, uh league of legends uh only beat by the nfl that's kind of disturbing right you see all the other leagues and sports falling behind that for gen z yeah so uh, a lot to be determined even though it's only let's say two or three years in the future that these conversations um get serious but i think that it's going to end up being pretty incredible timing uh if you go 10 years forward in the future what is now fragmented will probably reflect a lot of consolidation. If you look at all the over-the-top or direct-to-consumer services that are offered, uh, little niche players with niche content, it's realistic that that gets cleaned up. You know, if you're a consumer, it's almost too wide of an array to even sort of consider what you're supposed to subscribe to or buy. Um, so, uh, well, at the same time, the legacy model, the legacy business model, and this is always true, right? It, it, you know, these small tech players come in and disrupt legacy businesses, but on the way out the door, they fight like hell. And so let's take Fox as an example. It's pretty clear Fox is committed to live programming, which is essentially sports or news. And mm-hmm. um, now that there's that sort of sale of Fox, if you look at Big Fox, uh, I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll lose the NFL. I don't. I don't think they'll take any chance on not retaining the NFL, which puts the NFL in a heck of a, a negotiating position. But but right after the NFL deal in 2022, then comes this wave of a number of other pro sports leagues, and also most of the collegiate uh, conferences. So, uh, if the legacy players need uh, appointment-based viewing, because it's the only thing you can't get right. Uh, on Netflix. It's the only thing you can't get on a, uh, with a library, an on-demand viewing, which you can get for any form of drama. Uh, so it's holding together that legacy business model of uh, a bundled pay TV. You know, so you think of the interests of a DirecTV or a Comcast or the interests of you know, ESPN and the Disney you know, family of uh, channels. So uh, even if it maybe isn't wise long-term, uh, if they're going to stay in that business model and protect it, they're going to they're, they're going to pay a premium, and they're going to protect those digital rights. While at the same time, as we already discussed, these very well-heeled tech companies that can, you know, you know, throw their hat in the ring, and they may be on the early edge of where they belong in that space, but, uh, you know, they can certainly afford it. And if they do the math on buying their way into the space or, or you know, becoming a major, you know, form of a network. So, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's hard to say. It would be ridiculous to say it with extreme confidence. But I actually think the new players will be just serious enough and have the money, and the legacy players will be um, just desperate enough and still have the money, which they might not, you know, five years later, to all make serious bids uh, for sports content. Well, it sounds incredibly interesting, AJ. I mean, obviously, the the timing of it, like you said, you you could be wrong of it in six months from now. It could be completely, it could be 180 degrees from what we're talking about right now. I, I guess what I want to drill down to is specifically with Washington, for instance, because as you know, we're dealing with the dogman crowd here, and we and, and and everyone kind of wants to know how this new deal would would you know kind of affect the specific Pac-12 programs, including Washington. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, with with the COVID, and not not to go back to that 
you know, that talk that we've had, but it just feels like the budgets, they're, they're projecting losses of tens of millions of dollars when you're talking about season tickets, when you're talking about the associated uh, booster donors that, 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 that have money that are tied into those tickets and what have you, let alone concessions and and um and and all the merchandise that kind of comes with that you know how does how does a program like washington kind of come out of this and feel like they're in a position where they can still you know break even or still come out of this in 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 feeling good about where they're at right now well you know i'm a husky fan and so uh, maybe i'm being overly optimistic but but you can feel good about the situation uh, it's a short-term thing. Uh, the only thing that's tough is the constraints of being a part of a not-for-profit public state university. So mechanisms that a private business like Navigate could use in a situation like this, like a loan, you know, if you saw it as a non-reoccurring event, you know, in a short-term problem, um, you know, th- there's resistance to that, right? Like I doubt they're going to finance it, you know, through debt, but they do have a reserve, which is incredibly rare. That's a sign of amazing fiscal responsibility that exists almost nowhere in collegiate athletics. Um, and, you know, I don't think that they would use it for this, but uh, if there was ever a time, right, it'd be a non-reoccurring, you know, moment like this. Um, certainly there's going to be cuts that hurt. There's going to be good, hardworking people uh, that, that lose their jobs, and maybe those jobs don't come back quickly. Um, there must be sports at risk. I don't know any insider scoop or any details of what might or might not be looked at, but but this is true across the whole universe of collegiate athletics. But, but there's haves and have-nots in collegiate athletics. It's not a level playing field, and Washington is really heavy on the have uh, side of that equation. Um, beautiful, rich city with great wealth and wealthy donors and a great marketplace and a great recruiting base and, you know, incredible facilities and an excellent university. And, you know, there's, there's just a, there's a bunch of benefits that, that uh, you know, make Washington a safe place to be. And so usually when there's a moment like this, a disruption like this, it usually, you know, uh, it deepens the divide between haves and have-nots, and I think that's, you know, what you'll see with universities. The, the people in the worst place to handle this, you know, it'll be a, a tougher impact on some of those smaller universities with, you know, less of a fan base. So when we talk about $50 million as an example, to do that math, you'd have to assume you lose annual campaign donations and ticket sales and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with game day. But uh, my prediction is that, um if asked to pay for your tickets, even though you can only attend one or two of the six or seven home games, uh, a lot of people will step up and do that. You know, an example of that was just a couple of years ago, the tax deductibility of the gift or the donation tied to the annual campaign. So there's your price of your ticket, and then there's the amount you give as part of as a tie member for those more premium seat areas, and to just give back to the cause of the university you know, not being tax deductible, you know, you, you're taking away a 25, 50% benefit, right, on those dollars by making them after tax. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they did not take a step backwards, you know, as a university of the overall gifts. You know, granted, it was a white-hot economy, but normally an economist would sit down and say if something becomes 30, 40% more expensive, you know, you will, in theory, lose 30 or 40% of your customers, right, if, if there's a whole match there on price and demand. So, um I think a similar thing might occur. I'm not saying 100% of people will pay for tickets that they can't use because of a pandemic, but you know, keeping the mission in mind, wanting to move forward, not wanting to lose your place in line as far as your priority or the location of your seat, wanting to support student athletes because being a fan of a university is more than being the fan of a for-profit team where it's just purely winning and losing, where you're thinking about your alma mater and the student athlete experience and 
all the missions that are served by a university that go way above and beyond just winning and losing in dollars and cents. Uh, for those reasons, I'm guessing a very healthy percent of people will will actually honor their tickets, you know, 70, 80% of people, I'm guessing. So um, it's very smart in a uh, zero-based budget, not-for-profit, spend every dollar you earn type, you know, collegiate, you know, environment to uh, be overly conservative when estimating downside, right, to be prepared for the worst. But, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I, I don't see that happening. It, it, looks, it looks pretty darn good there's going to be games and even possibly some fans in the stands. And then when you count, as I am, a lot of fans are supporting for a year in which they don't feel safe attending or just can't based on rules, space, and regulation, I think it's going to be just fine. Now, don't get me wrong. We're still going to talk about a $10, $20 million hit uh, to an athletic department like, like Washington, and that's not easy. Uh, it's not like they're lavishly spending money on, you know, salaries of their staff or, you know, certain resources. Uh, these are pretty threadbare uh, operations compared to pro sports. So it won't be easy, but $50 million seems uh, seems unrealistic. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yeah, it, it, it really is interesting times, of course, AJ. And, you know, one thing that you just talked about that I, I find really fascinating is this idea of haves and have-nots. And you just kind of laid out the idea why Washington – would maybe generally be considered a have in that equation. What I'm kind of curious about, and again, this is strictly just your opinion, not, you know, not relying on any research, not relying on any, you know, expertise as a, you know, as a, as a guy who understands this field better than almost anyone in America. But I'm just kind of curious, when you look at the haves and have nots, do you think the COVID and do you think all this other stuff well, we've talked about the media side of it, how that might have an impact. But I'm kind of wondering, do you think that will start to impact how these conferences start to look at each other? And maybe will there be uh, a change in terms of how these conferences will be aligned? Could there be a realignment, so to speak, of how you think these things would come about? And maybe some of it is based on the media deal. Some of it's based on which programs can benefit coming out of this compared to others? No question in my mind that it will. It's just a matter of, you know, when, not, not if. Uh, if you look at what is Division One, with, you know, I think it's 130 members now for football. Yeah. You have universities with one-tenth the budget of others, you know, when you go from the top to the bottom. How realistic is it to compete with someone on a field when they have – 10 times the financial resources. That's silly. Um, and if you, and the, the has and has nots, that divide will grow with the, the television deals and that athletic article that we just put out that I shared. Um, those conferences, Conference USA took a step backwards in their most recent TV deal just two or three years ago. Uh, that's not unrealistic that there, you know, isn't enough TV time or value to go around for some of those 
um, uh, group of five uh, conferences. And then when you look at revenue sharing, there's all these mechanisms in pro sports that work to create a level playing field, whether it be sponsorship dollars or ticket sales. There, there's shared revenue and backstops or luxury taxes based on how much you spend on your player payroll and things like that. These things don't exist. The only thing that's really shared is, is uh, bowl money, you know, television money, uh, NCAA, you know, money that sort of gets distributed for most conferences evenly across their membership. So, uh, you know, if you take the Wazoo versus UW sort of scenario and, and say, you know, how bad will this hurt each party and what does it mean for local revenues, you know, they're kind of on their own except for the TV money. So, uh, yeah, can uh, Florida Atlantic University realistically uh, year to year compete with um, the University of Florida? No. Uh, it, it's it's uh, and so it's pretty un-American, honestly. When you think of you know the, the our belief system and a meritocracy, you know level playing field, and you prove it out, you know with actual performance and and what have you. So yeah, um, uh, some of these rules that we discussed, whether it's name, image, and likeness, or the ability for athletes to earn money and be compensated, or other benefits that may come their way, the divide is already incredible. It makes a lot of sense that there be two divisions: a Division One football uh, and um, I love the idea of relegation as something that allows those uh, group of five to find their way into a college football playoff. So I think that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament in many ways. But, but realistically, it's an, it's an unfair uh, proposition, and it's not realistic budget-wise for those schools to, to continue competing. Imagine an alien lands on planet Earth today and looks all over the world where you'd find the largest league having 32 members in it, like the NFL, and I'm talking everything, soccer, rugby, everything all over the planet, right? That would be the largest league, with the exception of this college football thing and college basketball where there's 100-plus members. I mean, how on earth could you sort out who plays who and even scheduling and who's a member of what conference? Um, it would just seem ridiculous, right? So uh, using that as a reasonableness test, uh, the, um, yeah, the Division One football splitting into at least two different sort of, you know, rule thresholds or – standards and revenue sharing and things along those lines make a great deal of sense. And I would suspect it's going to happen eventually. It'll just probably happen much slower than, uh, than it would if it were a for-profit entity. Now, I want it shown for the record, AJ, I didn't bring soccer into this. You did. Promotion, relegation. <laughs> yeah. This was this is yeah, a concept yeah. that maybe people that follow college sports and pro sports aren't into, but those of us that follow soccer internationally, what have you, would would understand pretty well but to kind of wrap this up and, and the final question in all this really to break it all down and to boil it all down into terms that i think fans can understand do you think the pac-12 and maybe washington even specifically are they in a good situation right now you know like i said let's put covid to the side because of, as, as we've talked about that's a short-term deal that's something that's going to get dealt with eventually whether it's a couple months from now, whether it's a year from now, it's going to get handled. Where do you think the conference, the Pac-12 conference is, in terms of their position vis-a-vis -vis maximizing this new media deal to rival what has happened with the Big Ten and the SEC? Because right now, those are the conferences that have set the marker. And clearly, the Pac-12 needs to start to rise up to get to that level. So from a uh, uh, business tactics, uh, you know, rights, you know, options available to you to, to play a smart hand and a smart strategy, they're in an excellent position. Because all those things are coterminous and some smaller things I won't bore you with that they could also line up and package with the television deal, 
they have more flexibility and more rights to move around or bundle than any collegiate conference has ever had before, at least any major collegiate conference. So amazing position to play a smart hand of poker, but uh, Big Ten SEC money isn't going to happen. That's just a function of physics, the gravity associated with their level of popularity, fandom, viewership, passion, interest, population. So it's one of those things where the, their ability to do something transformational and excellent is absolutely within their control. And there's a, in, in limitless exciting options in which they could explore and, and realistically execute. But to expect them to go earn the money that the SEC and Big Ten uh, does is, is super unrealistic. It's just the most basic facts of um, how much you can sell television for or tickets for based on how important that is to fans and how passionate they are or likely they are to watch. We just don't have that on the West Coast. There's, there's uh, uh, a lot of fan apathy. It's not just collegiate athletics. There's very few pro sports teams that have, you know, really, you know, found that combination to have a really loyal and passionate and sustained fan base over time on the West Coast. So it's just part of the socioeconomic reality and mindset, you know, of the West Coast and where their values are placed and how they spend their leisure time and their dollars. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so the conference is in a really, really good place coming into this deal. But, but I would caution anybody who expects those dollars or if you're – unhappy with the distance between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and SEC, you're going to remain unhappy for a very, very long time, short of some mega merger with Power Five conferences and, and the creation of a, a, you know, an integrated league uh, in which they wouldn't have much incentive to evenly share, by the way. Um, you're going to be upset for this lifetime. And final question, AJ, before we wrap it up, where's the X factor? I think we've already talked a little bit about it in terms of the streaming services, in terms of the new media players, whether it's Google, Amazon, Apple, what have you. Is there anything else that we can add to this equation when we start thinking about how this media deal is going to be shaped going into the future? Well, the, the, the tech players, which are often founded by and run by Pac-12 alumni, are, are definitely an X factor. Um, but you said that uh, the footprint in which is represented, you know, the, the, if the PAC 12 were to be extremely progressive, which they, they have been right under the current leadership, um, of course, that comes with the risk of making mistakes, right? So, uh, you know, we have to survey the leadership of the PAC 12 and ask them if it was worth taking the risk they did with uh, the PAC 12 network or not, you know, and if it was worth it for their careers, you know, and, and uh, you know, balanced with the tier one deal that they did. But, but you look at international potential, uh, you know, you, you'd say, well, what is the best way for them to make themselves worth more? It's to, you know, increase the size of the pie so their slice of the pie is larger. So distribution and partnerships, you know, in, in you know, Asia, um, expansion of the conference. Uh, you take the conference footprint and say, could we cover more geography or better markets? Which, you know, it's well documented, you know, the conversations we had with some big 12 schools last time. Th those, those are things that could radically change the landscape. But the good news is if, if none of that happens, they, they still have uh, incredible optionality in the way that they can play their hand. And um, there, even though there's that fan apathy in the West that, that there's a, a headwind, there is all those great tech companies. There are all those great tech companies and all those great options available to that population. So um, I'm optimistic. If you believe, and I think it'd be, it's fair to believe uh, this, that money was left on the table with the Pac-12 network, 
Well, certainly you wouldn't expect that to happen again. You'd expect those possibly under-distributed uh, games or, or undervalued content to, to be um, maximized this time. So there's reason for optimism. And, uh, you know, if you're a coach or a recruit, you know, and you're thinking about where you want to play and live, sure, the SEC might be the sexiest place, you know, to, to take the field. But, uh, you know, do you want to live there? Do you want to live in that microscope? There's a reason to believe the Pac-12 will be more competitive in the next decade than it was the last five or six years. There's kind of a, there's been a, you know, there's been a lull in Pac-12 uh, on-field success in football and basketball. There's, there's no denying that. But um, history doesn't really indicate that that's sort of their natural order. And so, you know, these things tend to be mean reverting, right? So if we just had the next decade to be the average of what was life like in the Pac-12 and you bridge the gap financially, and there's plenty of reason to want to play sports and live and coach out here on the West Coast, uh, you know, I'm not worried about the Pac-12. I'm just not worried. There's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. And then when you're one of the halves, one of the very top of the Pac-12 halves like Washington is, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic and excited. we got a good thing going on. So, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm happy. I'm not worried. And, um, and I don't think you should be either a fan. Well, AJ, one of the reasons we love to talk about you, not just as a, a Washington fan, but as someone who understands this part of the business inside and out, is that you give us great reason to hope, yet you keep our feet on the floor. You know what I mean? You 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 make sure that you understand the realities of what's going on, yet there's still some the, – the, the light at the end of the tunnel is still there as long as we – can focus on that and and we can keep kind of going in that direction. And hopefully as long as the COVID keeps kind of slowing down as it, as it, you know, fingers crossed, it feels like it is, especially up here in the Northwest, we can kind of start to look towards a brighter future. And obviously as we start to go down into these media deals, and again, as you perfectly laid out over these many minutes that we've talked, there's a lot of things to be really, really excited for going into the future. So for AJ Maestas, founder and CEO of Navigate, this is Chris Fetters of dogman.com. Go dogs. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.